Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hola socios, hola equipo, my name is Neil. I'm Liam. This is John Nurnberger from Kansas City, Missouri, USA. Murray Field near Brisbane in Queensland. Edinburgh. Barcelona. And I'm a socio. I'm a socio. I'm a socio of The Big Interview. Hi, this is Taylor from Shenzhen, China, and I am a socio of The Big Interview. My favorite episodes are the weekly insights from La Liga. Living out in China, I can't keep up with the league I love because of the kickoff times and the fact that it's just not covered out here. It's not very popular, which is very, very sad. And Graham and his insight really helps me to stay in touch with the league I love and the football I love. You're about to listen to an interview which our socios enjoyed in full 12 months ago. If you'd like to listen to these exclusive monthly big interviews on the day that they're released, it's time to join us. That means supporting us. It means the price of a pint per month. Go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Graham Hunter. Go now, join and become a socio. That means you'll get that extra big interview every month and you'll also unlock our entire archive straight away. All for £2.99 a month. It's the best deal in town, baby. And we need you. Welcome to the Ledley King Show. Going into this interview, I was pretty disgusted that the majority of public interviews I've seen with Ledley King in many of the recent years have been reduced to talking about his injuries or how he wouldn't train but still played brilliantly. His career was exceptional. People rate him as being one of the great English central defenders. I think he played more than 350 top-level professional matches. And therefore, I was far more interested in the, the high points of his career, his attitude, his development, the people he'd seen, what he'd been a witness to. I also reckon that Ledley must be pretty sick of talking about injuries. So we didn't. Thus, this interview is about where he came from, the place and the people, including next door neighbour, Ashley Cole, and John Terry, somebody who made an impact on Ledley, even when they played together as young kids. It's also about the ties that bind him to Spurs, his memories of the lane, the big games that he was a big part of, and the players and managers of his era as a Tottenham legend and, frankly, one of the best defenders in Premier League history. For now, luxuriate in the great Ledley King. 
We're in Waltham Abbey after a cross-country journey where we risked life and limb and aquaplaned down the M, I don't know, 25A1 from Stamford. But Neil and I adore Ledley King, who's sitting opposite me in this beautiful sort of Amish-built um, barn of a Waltham Abbey hotel. And um, it's a blooming honour. I say this at the beginning because we handpick our guests, yes. footballers that we really, really admire, or people like Jamie Murray or Martin Compson, who talk about football brilliantly. You're here um, because we just loved watching you play. You seem to us to have, I, I would use the word brilliance. But I want to start a little bit strangely. Um, a couple of months ago, I was up with Quentin Fortune at Manchester United's training ground okay. on a dark, cold, windy night watching their 16s, who were very, very good. And they played in what they called the cage. And I was talking to a fellow there, and they've built this on their multi-million pound training ground. I was talking to a fellow there who said, it's meant to replicate the thing that none of us grew up with anymore, but we all did when ball players played in the street and yeah. dodged lampposts and cars and dogs and cops and whatever. And from our research, it turns out that the cage that they're trying to replicate at Manchester United had a really big influential part in your development as a football, your love of football, but also your love of a good childhood. Yep. Can, you, can you capture it for us? Get, paint a picture yeah. so that people are with you in yeah. your cage. Well, I think that I was, I was fortunate that uh, you know, where I lived, there happened to be a, a cage uh, and, and two football goals. You know, and I uh, obviously developed a love of football at an early age. And uh, What is it? Tell, tell people what it is. Because so some people yeah, just I, will not know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's just a, it's a concrete uh, playing field with just a, a cage fencing around it. So I think first and foremost it was safety that you know, my mum could watch, watch me from, the, from uh, our flat where we lived and, and uh, you, know, you could lock the cage. So uh, you, really? <laughs> you, could lock, you could lock the kids in from the outside, which, <laughs> which was good. It's uh, an unusual tactic, yeah, but okay, yeah, it, it, it worked, so let's roll with it. But yeah, I mean, sometimes... Is the ball was all, is the the ball ball was always in play? In play yeah, yeah there, was no, you know, there was no out of play, there was no lines. Uh, you know, you played off the cage, so if the ball bounced, hit the cage, you know, you'd control it off the cage and, and play on from there. Uh, you know, likewise, behind the goal, you know, there'd, there'd be no corners or anything like that. Uh, you know, so that's really where I learned to develop uh, as a footballer. You know, playing street football, you know, with twenty, sometimes thirty other kids in there, not much space for us to uh, to kind of really run with the ball. But you had to learn to to, to have a good touch and and and, and good feet to, to get yourself out of situations. I mean, just breaking down, microscoping a little bit what it's teaching you. Your first touch movement. Um, like technique, technique vision, strength, body strength, obviously peripheral vision, you know, all, all, all these different things. You know, as I say, there wasn't much space in terms of <clears throat> being able to really open up your legs and, and run. Yeah. But, you know, that wasn't what football was about for us. It was about uh, the ball, being on the ball, being able to manipulate the ball in tight situations, uh, you know, holding people off, you know, which is a, an important part of football today, you know, especially midfield players. Uh, strikers, you know, they need to be able to shield balls, be comfortable receiving balls with people running at them. So, yeah, and these things that we learnt in the cage are a big part of today's football. So, in them days, who called the fouls? Were there fouls? 
Uh, was that tough just, skill? Yeah, well, I think you just all just agreed whether it was a foul or not. So obviously there would be it would be debatable. You know, there'd be sometimes you just say play on. Everyone would say play on. Sometimes sometimes you get someone who picked the ball up, say no, it was a foul. And you had so, to negotiate that out. Uh, yeah, sometimes you just let them let them have it, let them take the free kick, and uh, sometimes you just f- f- drop ball. Drop ball for the situation. See, so. when I rant and rave about this, because I do, being somebody who adores Cruyff and, and the Dutch school of street football, proper street football, I do rant and rave a little bit about this. People who listen to the big interview have kind of heard this theme a little bit from me. But one of the things that you might miss, one might miss when you're describing it is, at the time, were you really aware that you were learning and developing skills or was it really just fun? No, it was fun. Yeah. It was fun. And, and the good thing about it is that you, know, you learn to do a bit of everything in terms of defend and attack. Uh, you know, you kind of roam around, around the pitch. You know, as a, I obviously ended up as a defender, but back then when I was younger, it wasn't so much about being a defender. It was about being an all-rounder, mm-hmm. being able to shoot. Uh, you know, it just so happened that you know, I developed as a defender, uh, but I could have probably played in midfield if I, if I, was, if I was coached in, in, into playing midfield. I reckon I could have played in there. You know, if you asked me when I was 10, 11, I would have told you I could have been a striker. You know, but whether I could or not, I'm the not world, sure. The, but world, the world loves goals, yeah, exactly. don't they? Yeah, we all do. We all do. Here's, here's the thing, that, and again, if this is sort of fantasy for me, then say so. But yeah. as you're playing in a relatively small area, and they're 20 or 30, as you've yeah. described, does it ever go through your head, like, if I ever get on this ball... I want to make the most of it. I'm not going to give it away cheaply yeah, because if you've got 20, 30 yeah, people, yeah, exactly. the ball ain't going to be yeah, with no, you all that much. It doesn't always find you, of course, yeah. And it's interesting because I played with some, some kids who were great in the cage and on a full-size pitch, you couldn't find them. You know? And it was, it was a strange one to me. You know, There's players that were so technically gifted in the cage and, and when they had space on a bigger pitch, you thought they, they'd be better, they'd thrive, but they were worse. Uh, which, which is interesting, but yeah, you try to make the most of. Can you figure that in any way retrospectively? Can you? I think I don't know. Sometimes you can get players that, when they have too much time, different things go too much goes through their head. You know, they don't they don't make the right decisions. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a strange one for me, and I, you know, I always thought that these players would go on and, and kind of do well, but uh, you yeah, know, they, they didn't. If I'm right. Vaguely, we're talking Roman Road in Bow. That's right, yeah. I mean, for a poor Scot who lives in Spain, yeah. Bow, Bow Bells, is that yeah, right? That's right, Bow Bells, yeah. Just yeah. a little. We did this poor old Mark Noble. We, we had him round every garden in his neighbourhood and fishing in the Thames as a kid. Yeah. Just give me a little flavour of Bow in 1918. 19, early 80s, yeah. To me, it was home. I didn't know any different. You know, I'm sure looking back now, it was probably it was quite rough. Uh, you know, there was a lot of kids that, that would hang on the streets. You know, I was lucky that football took took me a different different path. You know, it gen- generally there was there was kids that were really into music. There was some uh, someone like Wiley, who's a, who's a big uh, UK artist, who was always interested in music from an early age. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was the football lot. Myself, Ashley Cole, uh, a lad called J. Lord Samuel. We grew up, of course, within you know across the road from each other, and all three of you, all three of us, yeah. And we were the we were the football kids, and uh, and then you get the ones that are not really interested in football and never had much to do, and just roam the streets. And of course, roaming the streets can get you in trouble when you're mm. when you're when you're bored and you you don't have much to do. But I, you know, I was I was lucky that I had 
uh, a distraction, which was, which was football, which I loved. See that was a little bit of light down on your mum saying you saying your mum kind of could look down and you kind of thing. Yeah. There was a degree that you, were, you you kind of meant that that she yeah, was just having yeah. an eye out of you. Was there a sense of community? What what did the community feel like in Bow then? You, you know, I was felt safe in in my, in in my own community. I would say that you didn't have to go too far to to find trouble though. Is that right? You know, although you yeah. felt safe in in, in your own neighbourhood. Uh, you know, you could travel ten minutes away and uh, and find trouble quite easily. You know, and I think that's something that still goes on today to a certain degree. You know, we've heard of postcode wars and and stuff like that. You know, which I'm sure it was around dur- during my days. But you know, I was always I was a relatively good kid and kind of kept my, kept myself to myself. And football drew you. Football, yeah, football, football really had, was a magnet for you. Yeah, football was a magnet for me. And you know, there, there was a, as I say, a group of us that were known as the footballers and and kind of had a respect from, from our older peers that for being feels good at football. good right Which, yeah it does it does you know. because some of the th- people i'm not talking about ball now i'm talking about my experience yeah. some of the times when people go wrong in any neighborhood in any era yeah. is looking for respect in the wrong way by mm, saying sure, falling yeah. into bad company yeah. or i can handle it doing x yeah, or y yeah. but football get or sport giving respect yeah. is a massive thing then yeah yeah and it was so simple for us you know it's it it what we love doing uh and obviously, the, the more respect you, you gain, the more you enjoy doing it, sure, the more sure. you want to improve, the more you want to uh, get as far as you can. So I met Ashley and talked to him, and I really, really enjoyed it. Went down yeah. to the, went, went down to Cobham, spent time talking to him one on one, and completely different to the rubbish that you, yeah. you would read about yeah, him. Of course, yeah. and I really enjoyed his company, yeah. and he was witty and a phenomenal athlete, yeah. very, very high level footballer. Yeah. Yeah. Go back to. Roman Road and yeah. Bow. You said he's a neighbour. Yep. Rival, friend, teammate. What? Just what? What was your little <clears throat> world? Friend. As we got older, I became a rival. Uh, because of school, school at an early age, I become a school rival. Two different schools. Two different or? schools. We went All to right. Two different okay. Schools. He went to school in Bow, and I actually I went to school in Poplar, which was a little bit little bit further further out. So that was the first kind of rivalry. You're playing against his school team and you know that he's a very good player. You know, uh, I thought myself as a, as a good player then. And it's, you want to you get the best of each other. And actually yeah. he was a striker as a kid. Oh, was he? I didn't that's know that. He was no, a striker as a kid. He was a, he was a prolific striker. So, so you f- were one-on-one in that case? Yeah, or yeah. at least you were covering his area? I, I don't know if... Yeah, I mean... It, was he still playing off the left then? He was, he was just or centre, he was centre forward. forward. Centre was forward. That? He was just a centre forward. Uh, and funny enough, we ended up at rival Sunday league teams. But it started at started school. Yeah. Started at school. The rivalry started at school. If I dare, because yeah. we, you know, we've got a good glass of water there. Yeah. Who, who, who came off best at school days? Do you remember best. any uh, matches, incidents? I did. <laughs> I did. It's, it's I mean, a straight question. Yeah, you, got, you can be answered. You can be truthful. You have to think about it. He might tell you he did. I, I, you know, I, <laughs> That's that uh, popular ball thing, you know, isn't it? When I was in school, I'd, I'd often play in midfield as well. Yeah. Just well, to kind of... I saw you often play professionally in midfield mm. too, particularly yeah. initially at Spurs. Yeah. You know, it t- it, not knowing your background when I was working in London, yeah. to, to see you beginning a lot in midfield and then yeah. going back naturally to mm. centre-back, yeah. I thought that had been a, 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 a sort of big change for you, but you yeah. did both as a kid, right? As or, a kid, yeah. I mean... As soon as I joined Tottenham at the age of 14, I was a centre-half, straight, straight through. Uh, in fact, everywhere I was a centre-half, apart from school. I'd play a bit of both. 
And I think at school I'd try and influence a game, playing in midfield, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Have a bit more of an impact. Lucky enough, my Sunday league team, we had a very good team. And we had very good midfield players at the time. Uh, I didn't need to try and influence that because we had uh, John Terry playing in front of me in midfield. <laughs> whoa, whoa, wait, wait. You, you're playing centre half and he's in front he, of you. He was a centre midfield ah, player. Okay, listen. Yeah. I got to understand this. Yeah. This, this is Senrab. This is Senrab. This is I didn't know John played as a midfielder. He did, and he was a small. He was a small lad. When we was 11 years old, John was small, but he still had that same the the fight fight in him. He was different. He was different to all the other kids in terms of he would put his head in where the feet were, and as kids, that was unheard of. Uh, John would do that and he, was, he had great timing in the air even as a, as a small kid he would win so many headers in front of me uh, and I think he must have had a bit of a growth spurt you know, between maybe 11, 14, 15 uh, and, and that's why he's technically gifted as well and that's why he's so comfortable at the bat because he had that, that uh, education of playing, playing in midfield yeah. before he went to centre back we, we sat down and did this with Michael Carrick yeah and one of the things we asked him was, you know, a lot of time spent playing with Rio mm. at West Ham and Manchester United. And I asked him, because the listeners feed back to us that they like hearing the process, the process of football. Yeah. So I asked Michael about how much communication did he need to have with Rio? And he said, well, listen, a nod and a glance and whatever. So when, yeah. as kids, I'm still talking about the Sunday team yeah. now. When he was in front of you and you were behind, yeah. what did you need? To, was it natural? Did you need to talk? To, you know, say, how did you work I think, that? I think John was the natural talker even back then he was that kind of he had that die hard mentality mm. yeah, but I think if I look at the the, the, the other players at the te- in the team uh, that's where John stood out and I was a quiet lad uh, as a kid so I think it was just a kind of natural natural thing for, for, but for myself you, but the ball coming on to you you mm. should kind of be Bossing yeah, yeah, yeah. him, he yeah, might yeah. be protecting you. That's, that's right. Yeah, John. John was bossing everyone. <laughs> so yeah, uh, he just he had that in him from a young age. So what did that? If that's because um, I was going to ask you about saying because I don't fully understand it, but I hear it mm. again yeah. and again and again. Yeah. I mean, it's like if people get mad about La Masia at Barcelona now and its productivity and what yeah. it teaches you. Where were you? You were playing on grass, weren't you? Yeah. Uh, Onestead. Onestead flats. Yeah. Onestead right. flats. Yeah. Is that, for those who don't have middle end, is that the equivalent of Hackney Marshes? Is yeah, that the, rec- yeah. the Rex pitches? It's, it's similar to Hackney Marshes. It's the same, same kind of thing. So, uh, Again, make us a word picture of, let's say one of the first games you're arriving there, yeah. you're now not playing in the cage on concrete in a neighbourhood that you know about. Yeah. What's it like? I kind of get this feeling that there must be like fleets of cars, people everywhere, and maybe I'm betraying something about my own yeah. nature here. It could be quite intimidating the first couple of times you go there. Uh, I think say no naturally, no. You're naturally a little bit nervous once you once you start playing in front of a little bit of an audience. You know, you've got obviously parents there. Uh, you've got lots of different games going on at the same time. Yeah, on the pitches, and uh, you know, I think it does take a little bit of time to get used to playing on on a, on, a, on a bigger pitch, playing in front of people. But at the same time, you know, when you're young. You just you're just enjoying it. You do you're doing what you, you love doing, and uh, that kind of takes over. What it smell of? It smell of wintergreen or aftershave or whether whether older was, boys would yeah, the beer. Smell of, didn't smell of aftershave. No, no. He was stuffy. He was too young for aftershave. But uh, you know the the change rooms had a distinct smell of that. You know, like mud, 
a little bit dirt. You know, the, the, I often remember how cold it used to get there. Yeah. Obviously, hot water? The hot water. No, I don't think we were showering back then. You know, I think we... <laughs> It sounds terrible. You know, you know, young. You know, when you're young, you can't. No, no, listen. I've actually shared back to Fernando Hierro, great Madrid Spain yeah. thing. Was like, yeah, no, we used to drive for miles from the training ground back to Bolton before we got showered. He said we were caked in mud, and he said sometimes I just scraped it off yeah, and went yeah. home. Yeah. So you, you, that's not. I unique. think when we was about ten or eleven, if someone was in the shower, we would have looked at them strange. <laughs> that, that's yeah. That, so it was quite natural for us to just go jump yeah. in the car after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Filthy. And shower at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And was it well maintained? Because we've obviously put amateur football all over Scotland. Yeah. And occasionally you'll find bad pitches, dogs that lie down it, bottles, yeah. whatever. And the dressing rooms can be smashed windows. Or was this a place that people respected and looked after? Yeah, I think people respected it. I went there a few years back and uh, you know, obviously brought back some memories. But it was, exact, it was exactly the same. Yeah. You know, it, uh, you know it, was, it was well looked after, well maintained. Uh, if anything, it's probably not as much football going on there now as there was. Does that worry you? Which, yeah, it was a little bit worrying. It was a little bit. And the same thing happened with the cage. Uh, you know, I've driven past that cage and, I've, and it's been empty. You, can you that understand that? You know, if you go back and remember the passion of, yeah. presumably you were like, you know, get me out of school, get me into the cage, mm. Saturday morning, let's get down, who's playing? Yeah. This is what we both feel. Yeah. Can you understand how people don't have that? I mean, I was shocked to, to see it. And it's, it's a few times I've seen it now, but you know, it's, there's so many other distractions now for kids that, that, that obviously keeps, keeps them in and stops them from going out. And just, but we say that. Yeah. that I mean, that's the phrase, so many distractions. But as good? No, no, not for, not for, not for the better. You know. No? Uh, you know, we learned so much just being outside, learning to, to deal with, with people, communicate, work your, work your way out of situations. Uh, you know, and obviously for me and, and some others, you know, make a career from you know what started is just going outside and, and kicking the ball around. Did did Britain lose a first class boxer or karate man um, when you opted for football rather than? You had <laughs> no chance. <laughs> you, Don't you know what? Bo- you had the gloves on, boxing, did you? Boxing was in my family. My uncle boxed professionally and. He boxed in the Olympics for, for, for GB. Come on. Uh, Which? For, for Which was, Olympics would it maybe be? It was in the 80s. I remember, well, well, yeah, that's a huge honour to represent your country. Yeah, I mean, he was, he, he was going to go on to, to have a good career. You know, he was a middleweight. He was around the, the Ben Eubank era. I think, he bought, I think he fought Ben twice as an amateur, won one, lost one. Blooming uh, heck. For anybody who doesn't remember Ben and Eubank, yeah. if you can get in the ring and come out standing with them, never mind win one, lose yeah. one, that's talent. Yeah, I mean, his, his name was Rod Douglas, and unfortunately, I think it was his 20, 21st professional fight. Uh, I think he took a bit of a step up, a big step up, and uh, he, he lost the fight. He fought with a guy called Errol Graham, who was... Uh, Bomber <laughs> Graham. Bomber Graham, yeah. Uh, and his 21st fight, and he, went, he got into a, uh, fell into a coma after the fight, and that was his last fight, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I mean, he, he, you know, that was sad to see. He was a, he was a young, I think he was My 23 word. at the time, and and uh, you know, that, that was tough for him. Yeah, yeah. But so, in other words, well, full respect to him in that case. But and sorry if we've gone to a difficult area. Yes. But when you had the gloves, did, did it? Yeah. Did it? 
I, mean anything you know to you? I didn't, or? I didn't allow myself to enjoy another sport. I, I loved football, and I didn't. I actually didn't want to enjoy anything else. <laughs> you know, I remember going karate once, and I didn't like. I forced myself not to really enjoy yeah. it. I think boxing was the same. You know, my dad used to put put head guard on me and box around with me, and but yeah, I was determined not to not to not to enjoy anything else, just in case it took me away from. From football. There's a passionate love for football you've got there. Yeah, it was, it was, as a, as a young kid, of course. Uh, to force like yourself it. not to like something else yeah. is a really clear way of thinking, to tell yourself, like, God bless me, just in case, mm. you know, I, I get hooked on ping pong or darts or karate mm. or boxing, that would ruin something that, you know, is my number one passion. That's yeah. a really yeah. clear way of thinking at 14, 15. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't know if, the, if it's the right way to think about it because... Obviously, you would like to give yourself as many opportunities as you can. Uh, you know, I like to think of myself when I was young that I could have f- fell into a few different sports. Mm-hmm. You know, if I would have given it given it a good go. But as I say, football <laughs> football is what I loved the most. This season, we have a new sponsor, Bet Three Six Five the world's biggest online betting company. Have you listened to our Q&A previewing the season in Spain? It's a two-parter, each of which are available right now. You lovely big interview listeners sent in your questions, and so did the guys at Bet365. The guys have asked, how difficult will it be for Thibaut Courtois to get in the Real Madrid side ahead of Keylor Navas? It's worth saying in answer to this question that Courtois had been hinting on social media that he was ready to start... But the media picked up on it, and the two Madrid papers had Courtois on the front page saying, you know, Courtois starts, Courtois ready. But the adoration that the players have for Kehler, the fact that one of the reasons that Zidane left was that he saw interference by the president on who was going to be the first-choice goalkeeper, and Zidane didn't like it. He knew how the team felt about Kehler and the value of Kehler. The solution will be that the, the competitions are split. Trebles come where great keepers duke it out. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Did you grow up like devoted to Tottenham or not really <laughs> devoted to one single club as you're growing up? Yeah. My dad supported Tottenham. Uh, but... Yeah, my dad was in and out of my life as a, as a young kid, so it had an influence on me. That was kind of my first team. Uh, but then my best friend supported me a war. So when I was seven or eight, his dad took me to Millwall with, with my friend. Down the old den. The old den, which just mm-hmm. shows you how tough things were back then, you know. Uh, a young black kid going to the old den, you know, and... Again, be, there might be some listening who don't quite know what that means, and I'm going to tread quite carefully here, but I do remember David Moyes talking to me about going to try to sign uh, Tim Cahill with his chairman from Everton and them being absolutely petrified <laughs> as they drove up to Millwall yeah. and the car was sort of attacked and rocked. and yeah. it, it was a raucous place. It was, yeah. And, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that. Before I went there, how you know how intimidating it, it, it was of a place. You know, I went quite a few times, and and I saw racism around me. You know, which was disappointing for for, for a young kid. Constantly directed at opposition players, opposition or players, their own players, huh. uh, which kind of made me uncomfortable going. Well, so you know, I stopped stopped going there, and. Uh, because you're still a kid at this stage. Yeah, so it's, I'm, I'm eight years old. Blah. I'm eight years old this time. You know, there's people in the seats next to me shouting things. It's, it's, it's literally. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not the purpose of this chat. But it's yeah, literally yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. When you see that, it or you hear it, yeah, you're like, where does this come from? How can yeah. you think like that? Yeah, I mean, and, that, and really, I've been fortunate that I've not really experienced racism through my my career. Uh, but obviously, this is going back to the, the early eighties. Well, this is the late eighties now, and it was still a big part of uh, of some football grounds. And uh, you know, that kind of put me off, off for sure. Go in there, yeah. Put me off Millwall, yeah. Really. And uh, <laughs> you know, I kind of went in the, in the direction of, of Tottenham again. Well, the reason I set that up, I took a risk by asking. Because you might have said, yeah, I've loved Tottenham since I was three. Mm. I've seen you standing and talking about Spurs and saying when you got there, mm. you kind of just fell in love. Mm. I don't know if it was with the club or the fans or the ideal of the football, but I felt that the stadium had something to do with it too. Yeah. And it's just a really good expression. Yeah. I, I, I get really excited by people expressing, like, I love this stadium. I love the first time I saw the pitch or I love a brand of football. Yeah. These things happened to you today at age 14, 15 or something? Yeah, 14. And it was really simple, you know, it was the training, training facilities. And you know, looking back, they were nothing special. <laughs> but at the time, they, they felt special. And it felt like somewhere where I could develop. And, and obviously the coaches play a big part in that. You know, the, you know being able to feel that you, you, you're going to learn quickly from, from, from these guys and... Uh, 
It's as simple as that. I loved where we were training. It was like an indoor, it was at the stadium and there was an indoor ball court, we used to call it, which was like an f- artificial grass and it had two goals. So again, it was back to the cage yeah. kind of vibe. Yeah. We used to play off walls and I felt right at home and I was able to, to develop again. Yeah. We, I don't know if it's the same facility, but about a year ago we went over to where Terry Venables has his hotel just north of Alicante and he talked about the days back then of coming to a facility like that let's mm. let's not say it definitely was but it was the walls and it was the drills of knocking the ball yeah. you know back into circles and hitting certain points and mm. also the game being fully on and I think it was Dave Mackay he, he tangled with and Dave did him heavily and yeah. Derry got were the games then still like the cage when you were yeah yeah because you, know, you could find yourself in really tight situations up against the wall mm. at times and you've got to try and wriggle your way out or, or find a pass. So it's familiar for me. It felt, I felt right at home. And uh, as I say, before, you know, I quickly developed there and, and was able to, to progress. And I think, again, being in that environment uh, with a ball court, you know, instead of the, the cage fencing, it was just playing off walls which was something that I was used to. And it's yeah. not for the soft, is it, of mind? It, it, again, you talked before at the cage about being able to use your body and yeah. shield and move and turn and show one way and go the yeah, other and yeah. these things you had. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, as I say, the ball's never, never, never going out. Uh, you obviously got to stay alive as well. You know, you've got to read certain bounces, the way balls bounce. Uh, it's just a really good education. And, and it's something that the, the, the first team have now, you know, we have world-class facilities that we've just recently moved to and uh, in the middle of it we have a, a, an indoor indoor ball court. It's not, not as small as the, as the one that we used to play and uh, you know, it's, so you, it's not necessarily playing off the, the walls the same way we, we used to do but uh, you know, it, it does remind me of, of where I started. Still asking some of the same things about touch and vision and speed and distribution and it things. Is, yeah, I mean you can you can you could set it up the same way yeah. uh, possibly to, to, to be able to play off off walls, uh, which which is great. Who are the characters then? Who strike you immediately from from the kit man to the coach to the fellow players? Who are the ones that young, stand young, out there as you go age, there? Yeah. As you're just going, wow, yeah, this is yeah. this is for me. Who are the standouts? Uh, as a 14-year-old, uh, Peter Crouch, for obvious, re- for obvious reasons. <laughs> One of the funniest guys you've yeah. ever met? Well, the tallest guy I've ever seen. Okay, like, we, can yeah. play, we can play sort of adjective well, table tennis for yeah. a while. But... but also, yeah, character. And we, Big character. We hit it off straight away. Yeah. And it's funny because the way we first kind of got acquainted was, as I said, I come from, from Bo. So we used to have a game called Money Up, which... Basically, you say you had 50p and you're playing with four friends, you'd stand behind a line and it would be who could throw their, their 50p the closest to a wall. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we well, so, spent most school years yeah, playing yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, you know, we, we can, a, once the tape's off, we can have a little game. <laughs> I, was a, I was addicted to this game yeah. at school, so somehow I managed to bring it to Tottenham. Uh, <laughs> and Crouchy, Crouchy had never heard of it never played it in his life. Does he still owe you money on it? No, do you know what? He won, I think he was playing with our subs. Our pounds. I think we had a couple of pound subs, and we all. There's quite a few of us played with pounds, and Crouchy won them all. No, we'd never played the game before. So, uh, 
<laughs> the boy's talented. Yeah, they, they weren't too happy. People weren't too happy with him because he was he was a beginner and he had, he had that beginner's luck. But yeah, that's kind of how he we started. Of, you sort of throw it like a like a, yeah, yeah. Like a almost like a tiny frisbee throw, that's and you've got to get it right up next to the wall, yeah, touching yeah, if you close, possibly can. To the wall, kind of. Uh, oh, I love that game so much. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's how to make a friendship, I suppose. Yeah, that's a lot of friendships. Start, he start he that told way. us. He told, and, and uh, I was just as gooey about that as well that. When he was young, his dad used to sit and train, learn, get better, whatever. I, one of the reasons we asked him to come and talk to us was that I've always w- loved watching him playing. And I always thought people described him wrongly. Yeah, of course. You know, in the football, they always like aerial or height and whatever. Yeah. I watched what he tried to do with the ball. And I was like, I'll turn the TV on just to watch you. Mm. Because, and he told us about going down the park with the, the curver method. His dad brought a coach over from Holland mm. to teach him skills and that. Could, could you see at the time that there was technique? Definitely, yeah. Definitely. I mean, his, his heading was the weakest part of his game yeah. as a kid. And I think it's natural for it, to, for it to be. Yeah, my heading was weak. And I was probably the second tallest. Is that because you don't have to jump when you're a kid? You, you, your height means that you don't have to learn yeah, it. I think that you don't... I don't think you have many, many situations. And it's not something that's probably... It's probably not practised enough uh, as a kid. You know, especially... You know, as I say, if I played in the cage... I didn't have any crosses really to to, to, yeah, to, to point, try yeah. and be heading in. Uh, it was very rare, or goal kicks, you know, big long goal kicks, and I'm you know, centre half trying to head them. It didn't didn't really happen, so it really wasn't part of my education. So it's something that you kind of develop as you get older uh, and as you you work on. And I think that's probably the same for Crouchy. He was technically very good. Yeah, you know, and that's what I loved about him. He the way he wanted to play the game. Yeah. Uh, you know, he had the same kind of instincts as, as me in terms of, you know, we love trying to play with a bit of style and a bit of grace, and, and, and Crouchy always had that. And I think he used to drive some of the coaches crazy because they wanted him to be a big man. Do, do what he looked like, yeah, not what he could do. Yeah. That's so British. But, uh, you know, I think that's really why he had to leave and kind of Seriously. come back because he wasn't, doing what he looked like he should be doing. He went off to was, hoops, didn't he? He went off to QPR. Yeah, he did. He, he left as a young kid, but you know, he's had a fantastic career. And you know, some, I've looked at, back at some of the goals he scored and, wow. and <laughs> they're unbelievable. And, and as well as the technique, you have to have what you've just described, you both had, you have to have this ideal about, oh, listen, I don't just want to score. Yeah. Could I get that in there? Or, I've seen course, something yeah. there. Or, yeah, yeah. You've got to be a bit daring and cheeky. Yeah, yeah of course. But that's, that's something that we used to practice after training as kids. You know, We used to, we used to work on... Uh, Shooting, like shooting, different types of shooting, volleys. You know, we used to play certain little games where the losers would have to, you know, collect all the balls in after we'd booted them all over the, all over the training ground. Uh, <laughs> or the loser. I actually remember the loser wasn't allowed to come, drive home. He wasn't allowed to come home <laughs> in a car that he got there in. He had to, yeah, he had to take the train, or you know, he wasn't allowed to get a lift back. Cool, that would, so there was a lot of pressure you. on these kind of kind of things. I'd and, say uh, you know something that we used to do daily. If I can pick up on style, I'll offer up my opinion. Although I think that the Spurs fans that I know best, hello Mick, hello Duncan, adore you for some of the absolutely Errol Flynn swashbuckling things you did when maybe those around you'd let you down and you were saving Spurs last ditch. And I think that's one of the things that our society, where it's all in ten second clips. Mm portrays you as but what I watched was somebody who wanted to win the ball and play it all the time mm. that you were I'm not going to go into the Pep Guardiola playing out mm. from the back mm. all the way 
but you seemed to think that the ball was to be won and not just hoofed for somebody else to deal with it. You wanted to do something creative with it. Mm. Is that true? And, and by the time you're getting your first team chance, how keen was George on that? Two different questions. Yeah. Uh, that, was my, that was the way I played. You know, I very rarely kicked the ball out of play. Very rarely. Always thought there was a way out, another option. Some, sometimes it wasn't. You know, sometimes it just had to, it had to go. But again, whether this comes back from being in a cage where you work your way out of situations, mm-hmm. maybe that was it. I'm not sure. You know, it's just, it's just. You my, need nerve. Way. You do need to. However yeah. good your technique is, however mm-hmm. much you mm-hmm. want to keep mm-hmm. the ball. But there's, there's a, there's a, obviously there's a balance between making mistakes mm-hmm. that, that cost the team. Mm-hmm. And I learned that, you know, as a young kid, because you know, George Graham probably thought of me more as a midfield player, mm-hmm. and I'd played in defence all, all my life as a Tottenham player, of course, mm-hmm. you know, from 14. And he thought, I think he thought maybe I'd take too many risks. Mm-hmm. And he played me in midfield, and I remember making a mistake in the final. It was the Worthington Cup. It was a mistake, but it was something that I've looked back and I'm not sure if I'd change, mm-hmm. if I'd change what I tried to do. Can you remember what happened? Yeah, it was, it was a long ball. Uh, you know, we was playing three centre-halves. I was, I think, I was the, I think I was playing right-sided centre-half. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a long ball and I was stretching, kind of leaning back to try and get my head on it. And I've got my head on it, but it's only popped up bounce five yards ahead in front of me and by the time I've got to the bounce of the ball the ball's back at my head head height someone's running in running in at me and I've tried to take a small touch with my head mm-hmm. to get it down to my foot to, to clear it yeah because my thinking was if I headed it it would have went another five yards and it wasn't really doing anything but as I've headed it down to try and clear it away someone's nicked in and kind of toe poked it away and they broke and scored. Uh, it was, I think it was a winning goal in the, in the final. Andy Cole scored. And it was, it was a cheap goal. But this I'm isn't a Blackburn sure game, is it? It is a Blackburn game. Yeah. yeah. It is a Blackburn game. And, yeah. I'm, and I'm not sure if I would change it, although that hurt at the time. And, and in a funny way, it did make me look at things differently, where I have to, I really have to do balance out. Calculating the calcula- risk. Yeah, the, the risk. Yeah. So for a little while, it was kind of, does maybe put you in a shell for a little while. Yeah. You know, you don't want to make mistakes. You know, you don't want to be that <clears throat> that, that player that crossed the team. But obviously, as as I kind of developed and, and kept moving, I kind of calculated when I can and when mm-hmm. when you can't. Uh, as I say, recently I look back at that and the idea, sure the concept was yeah, right. I, I, therefore, you, you don't I, change I think it. So. And I think that's something that I always. You know, throughout my career, I always, uh, you know, tried to, to, to find that balance. And that was the way I played the game. And I think, that was, you know, I think I was trying to do the right thing. Well, I'm quite certain you don't need reassurance. Mm. I'm just saying this for conversation and for, so other people know that when, when the keepers were asked to play at the back at Barcelona, they were told, just do it and yeah, do it yeah. and do it and do it. And yeah. if you're pressed or you're caught, yeah. it's the coach's responsibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it again yeah. and do it again. And yeah. As long as you're doing the right thing, mm. then if it goes wrong once or yeah. twice... The overall gain for doing the right thing yeah, yeah. will be enough. Yeah, and I think that's the way kids are coached now. And it's something that I learned because I've done a little bit of time with the under 18s. 
and you have to let people have all the tools that, that they can. You know, you can't box them into to play in one way. You know, you allow them to, to work it out themselves, but you've got to allow them to to have every tool they can. You know, and that that means making mistakes. You know, until you finally work out how you can do it, but. You know, I would say that players can start off at the back or, or start off at left back and end up in, 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 in midfield or striker because of their tools as a young kid. You know, you, the more you do, the more developed you are, the more tools you have give you the more opportunities to, 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 to play and, and especially in different positions. Thank you for joining us for season 2018-19. We've got huge creative plans for the months ahead but we do need your help to make them happen. Please go right now to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and become a social, become a paying member and get an extra big interview every month plus loads of bonus content. Last season, socios listened to nine exclusive big interviews including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Deeney, Roberto Di Matteo and loads of me talking about football. The Premier League, the Champions League, Spanish football. I'm sure they enjoyed it and you will too. Support us, join us. Thank you. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.